Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Good evening, you're listening to Done By Law this evening with Katia and MJ. Tonight we're speaking about how the COVID-19 restrictions are being policed in Victoria with a particular focus on policing of a car convoy protest that happened recently on Good Friday at the Mantra Hotel. Our guests tonight are Jen Keen mccann and Stephanie Black, volunteers at Melbourne Activist Legal Support and Michael Stanton, spokesperson for Liberty Victoria. We'll first hear some comments from Chris Breen of Refugee Action Collective, the organisers of the protest. Okay, we organised a protest calling for the release of the refugees in the Mantra Hotel and for the 1,400 refugees detained across Australia. Uh, the refugees in the Mantra are particularly vulnerable to COVID-19. Many of them got underlying, they came here via the Medivac legislation and many have underlying health conditions diabetes, um, respiratory problems, Crohn's disease, uh, kidney problems, and absolutely no ability to protect themselves or socially distance within the Mantra Hotel. There's 70 of them in the field ward, just one floor of the hotel. It's a huge hotel. They could let them have all the space, but they're in this one area, three to a room, no hand soap. And we called a car uh, convoy protest, so everyone was in cars, uh, one or two people per car, and everyone from the same household, uh, completely safe. And I actually didn't get to attend the protest because the police turned up at my house at 12 noon, two hours before the protest, and arrested me for incitement for being one of the organisers of the protest. I spent um, <clears throat> nine hours in a police cell. The police got a um, warrant and uh, took me back to search my house. Uh, they seized all of my computers, my 15-year-old son's computer, uh, my work computer. I'm a school teacher, so I still, you know, I, my lawyers have made an application to get that back, but I don't have that to prepare for school. My son doesn't have his computer for school. And there's, you know, there was absolutely no need to do all this thing to get the, that for evidence. Everything we have done is public. You know, I put out a media release in my name. My number is on the Facebook page. That was Chris Breen speaking with Solidarity Breakfast. Now we've got two guests, Jen Keen McCann and Stephanie Black, volunteers at Melbourne Activist Legal Support. So what actually occurred on, it was the 10th of April, so Good Friday. Firstly, the um, protest was meant to go ahead a week earlier, um, but in, in talk to the police, they decided not to go ahead because they were told they'd be fined. 
the day before the United Workers Union had a cavalcade in Sydney and in Melbourne. I think there was also some talk about seeing how that went. The idea with the, the car cavalcade was that they would have either one person in a car or the same household in a car and that they would drive a few times around the mantra and then down High Street. So in that way, they were safe. Under the COVID-19 rule, they were safe because they were, they were social distancing. And what happened was the police set up a block next to the mantra on, I think, in Hotham Street and basically fined everyone. I mean, that, they were less social distancing than the people were. And Melbourne Activist Legal Support has released a statement of concern about the protest. So, yeah, so basically the statement of concern after the protest starts with Chris Breen, who was arrested before the cavalcade took place, and he was held in police custody for nine hours and charged with incitement. Of course, you know, under these sort of conditions, under a pandemic conditions, we need to, we do, some of our civil liberties will be curtailed for health reasons, but under international human rights law, such freedoms can only be restricted to the extent strictly required. Mal's also it's concerned that a protest where tactics have been adopted to comply with them, government public health restrictions could be suppressed by police. This policing approach squashes protesters' rights to free expression and peaceful association. These rights are recognised in the Victorian Charter and the right to political communication is implied under the Commonwealth Constitution. So basically, Mal sees that the protest was legal. It was thoughtful in the current circumstances and very carefully done. Yeah. And Jen, Chris Breen was charged for inciting illegal activity and there are concerns that this will have broader implications for the trade union movement and protests going forward. So what are some of the issues that you've identified around civil liberties and and protest during this action? Well, I think the first thing to say is that we're not sure yet how uh, protest actions are being um, police. But we haven't had enough of them and we've had very different um, ways of looking at what the restrictions mean in Victoria um, and what restrictions mean in New South Wales where that's exactly right. Um, a cavalcade that was able to go ahead in Sydney um, resulted in, in like what we would say is, is massive unreasonable fines in Victoria um, and Part of the issue there um, is that the stay-at-home directions that are lawfully issued under the, I believe it's the Public Health and Wellbeing Act, those those directions are fairly vague. I mean, we continually hear in government public service announcements, essentially there are four reasons to be out of your house. But we also know that what constitutes exercise is very much at the discretion of the individual officer. And so the question for what it means for the trade union movement, what it means for active protest, we don't know. But not knowing is a problem because part of the rule of law and part of um, living under a lawful democratic society is being able to understand the law is transparent and we understand how it's going to be enforced so that we can abide by it. And just as Steph had said before, Mao's actually put out uh, two statements of concern. The first statement of concern came out when um, the police, the Preston, I believe it was the Preston police, um, and then the Darabin police, um, had approached Mr. Green 
um, the week before and said, if you go through with this protest, we're probably going to fine you. And we put out a statement then, um, just as Steph said, look, things are going to change in a public health emergency. Um, there are uh, fair and lawful restrictions to our uh, civil liberties in times of emergency. Um, but protesters um, were doing everything that they could to follow the directions, stay, save staying home completely. And initially what we said, or, or um, kind of my interpretation of things, was that the protest itself, it had, if it had gone ahead the first go round, would have been within the directions because the directions say that there is, um, I'll have to find it for you later on in our conversation if I can, but the directions include volunteer work um, as a part of uh, your worker study that could not be um, taken from home. And so we'd say first, this is a form of volunteer work, or I would say first, this is a form of volunteer work. Um, if not a form of volunteer work, then we have rights protected by the Victorian Charter in Victoria, um, which include freedom of expression and peaceful association. Um, and the uh, Victorian police um, are supposed to both um, it, public authorities are supposed to create laws and act in a way that is in um, compliance with those uh, rights. Um, and those rights can only be limited in particular circumstances. Um, and so we then say, look, we have these rights. Um, and if we don't just consider the Victorian Charter, we also consider it an implied right to con a political communication because a protest, and particularly a protest in relation to an action by the Department of Home Affairs, I would say is, a, is political communication. Um, again, not a constitutional lawyer, so don't take my, don't consider this legal advice. Um, but there's a, there's an argument that that's, that's political communication. And even if that wasn't the case, if either of those arguments fail, then there should be compassionate grounds on which the directives should be read down to include this space. Um, and so it all comes down to really not knowing and not being able to rely on um, particular guidance uh, on how um, these directives are being enforced. Mm. Because I, I guess when these directives were um, brought into legislation, it, mm. not, it wasn't necessarily considered about actions outside of people leaving their home right. where they shouldn't be leaving their home. And so this is kind of an interesting space. So what you're suggesting is we haven't really tested yet how these uh, directives sit in line with um, our right to political protest. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I think that the uh, protesters were also saying that they were doing it under care and compassion. Mm -hmm. So they were saying that this is, we are doing this under where we're, it's part of our caring. 
you know, I think that that's an important point as well. We're joined now by Michael Stanton, spokesperson for Liberty Victoria. Michael, Liberty Victoria also put out a statement about that protest. What were your main concerns? I guess we have a number of concerns. We have a broader concern that these directions are being enforced in an arbitrary and inconsistent way generally. There's now uh, many, many reports of people having difficult interactions with police when it comes to the enforcement of these directions. That concern was uh, heightened when it came to the enforcement in relation to a protest that by all accounts attempted to preserve social distancing. Whenever there's a limitation to a human right, it has to be proportionate. And at Liberty Victoria, we're concerned that policing, uh, fining a number of the protesters and and arrest the alleged organiser of the protests were acting in a disproportionate way in limiting the right to protest effectively of those people. In Victoria, Victoria Police uh, members are public authorities for the purposes of the Charter of Human Rights and Responsibilities Act. That means they have an obligation to act compatibly with human rights as protected by the Charter, and that includes the human rights of freedom of expression, uh, peaceful assembly, freedom of association. In addition, uh, at Liberty Victoria, uh, our view uh, is that it's uh, at least arguable that the stay-at-home directions themselves, as issued by the Deputy Chief Health Officer, uh, have to be interpreted consistently with those human rights as protected by the Charter, pursuant to Section 32, subsection 1 of the Charter, which means so far as it's possible to do so consistently with their purpose, they need to be interpreted in a manner consistent with those fundamental human rights. What would you say to the view that, look, it's not complicated, there are only these reasons why you're allowed to leave home, a protest is not one of those reasons? Well, that's probably going to be a matter that will end up being tested um, by the courts and uh, and because it is before the courts uh, we need to be careful with uh, what we say uh, but uh, it is at least arguable in our view that the actions of the protesters could fall within those uh, exceptions uh, within the stay-at-home directions uh, possibly in uh, one of two uh, ways uh, either that um, the protesters were um, taking action on care and compassionate grounds which is an exception to the Uh, stay-at-home directions or requirements, uh, or alternatively, that the protesters were engaged in a form of uh, voluntary work for a charitable purpose. Now, either of those um, arguments um, will um, need to be tested, but um, it is uh, strongly arguable in our view that the stay-at-home directions in being interpreted consistently with human rights under the Charter should lead to a fairly broad Uh, interpretation of those uh, limitations and those directions, uh, which would then uh, arguably encompass the the conduct of the protesters. What about protests that might not fall under the reasons that you just mentioned? Yeah, well, I guess each case will turn on on its facts. Uh, What makes this particular example of the Good Friday protest interesting, particularly interesting, is that the protesters attempted to protest in a proportionate way that respected social distancing. So if there's going to be a limitation on human rights, and it's accepted at Liberty Victoria that in these extraordinary times, there needs to be some limitation to human rights. Uh, Those limitations should only be um, what are strictly necessary um, and um, are proportionate. Um, So 
by protesting in a in a manner that respected social distancing, uh, arguably that uh, resulted in any attempt to prevent that from occurring from being a disproportionate limitation to the human rights of those protesters. Um, th there's also the implied freedom of political communication under the uh, constitution, and that rule uh, would also turn on whether any limitation to that fundamental uh, right is uh, proportionate. Um, so each case will turn on its facts, but certainly at Liberty Victoria, we're not um, suggesting that people should be out there in the streets within 1.5 metres of each other um, rallying and protesting. But uh, if they can protest in a manner that does respect social distancing, that does uh, minimise any risk of uh, contracting COVID-19, then um, they should be able to do so. At the end of Liberty Victoria's media release, there was a call for a response from the Victorian government. What do you expect from them at this point? Well, I suppose what we're really asking for is clarity, uh, because uh, at the moment, one of the real problems with uh, the approach of um, police to these stay-at-home directions is that there's inconsistency. And it shouldn't be the case that people have to guess whether or not their conduct is um, potentially unlawful. Uh, they need to have uh, absolute clarity about that. So it would really um, clear things up if the government um, announced uh, whether or not it, it was it held the view that all um, social, even socially distant pro protesting um, is effectively prohibited under the current stay-at-home directions. Uh, whether or not that um, is lawful is something that can be tested um, through the courts if necessary. Uh, but it would be good to know, and I think it would assist those enforcing the law as well, uh, to know what, what the position of government is uh, when, it, when it comes to these restrictions. There is a real danger, uh, and I think Deputy Commissioner Patton's um, been reported as having said that an inconsistent application of these stay-at-home directions um, is leading to an erosion of public confidence in Victoria Place, and no one wants that. Uh, people... Uh, want clarity when it comes to their rights. Uh, they want to know whether or not conduct they're engaging in is lawful or whether they, they might receive a very, very significant fine. Um, and um, it shouldn't really be a matter uh, where one would hope lawyers have to get involved and things have to be litigated at, uh, through the courts. It would be much better if as part of the review process in relation to all these fines that have been announced, uh, Victoria Police take a uh, very um, careful and considered approach in a way that respects their obligations as public authorities under the Charter of Human Rights. Thanks very much, Michael. Is there anything you'd like to add? If anyone's had a difficult interaction with police and feels hardly done by, then covidpolicing.org.au is a great resource and website where a variety of organisations have united and are trying to document some of these difficult interactions people have with police. So I'd urge people, if they do have um, find themselves in difficulty, to make a report to that website. That was Michael Stanton.
comes from Liza. Crossing over out of this quagmire, like a victim stubbornly refusing to cry. I'm crossing over. That was Quagmire by our own Beth King of Beth and the Brave. We're now hearing again from Jen and Steph, volunteers at Melbourne Activist Legal Support, about covidpolicing.org.au. I would look at the new covidpolicing.org.au site that's been launched by a number of partner organisations, which is looking at what's going on with policing during the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's there to kind of, uh, for people to report instances of um, policing they feel maybe is unfair and also to document. So to create, I guess, a bit of a database really, or, or you know, a as historical documentation of what's going on during this period. Um, and so Stephanie, I thought we'd start with you because you've just finished the weekly roundup um, yep, yep. of what's come through the site. So can you tell us a little bit about what, uh, maybe first of all, um, explain a little bit more about how the website works and what you've found from this week's roundup. Okay, so, well, as you said, it's a collaborative project. So it's run by a number of legal and human rights organisations and some um, uh, policing academics. And basically what there's, if you go to the site, there's an incident report form. So people can fill out the form, they can be anonymous if they want, or they can be, you know, um, they can put their names if they want. Um, and it just really asks, it's just one page, so it asks for, you know, where were you and what happened basically. And, um, and I think we had about 32 reports in this last week. So this is the second week of the, of the um, reporting. Um, and they mostly came from Victoria. There was, I think, like one from Queensland, one from a couple from WA, a couple about four from New South Wales. But mostly, I think there were like 25 in Victoria, um, 15 from Melbourne, uh, Greater Melbourne, and 10 from regional. I have to say, you know, um, pretty, some of it was really, people were really distressed and upset by the way they'd been spoken to by police. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of confusion about what are the rules. Um, and I think police are confused as well. Um, I think there's a real problem with asking people to use discretion, um, police use, because that's different for many people, you know, any, any group, any groups in the, in the, in the populations will have different ideas about what discretion is. Um, so I think, so there's, there's two things I suppose that stick out. One is, is that there is already over policing of some populations that are probably, you know, come in contact with the police a lot, Aboriginal migrant, you know, populations, and they tend to have more police and more visible police. But then there's also everyday Australians who are coming to contact with police in ways they haven't before. Um, and people are shocked and intimidated. You know, even when they 
so there's been a lot of talk about fines and look, will we review the fines and everything, but there's a whole lot of things that happen before the fines. You know, and I think that often police are intimidating. You don't, you know, I think, you know, if you're driving along and there's a police car behind you, I don't know about, you know, you go, oh, I better make sure, you know what I mean? Like you can feel intimidating. So I think that what they probably don't realise is just that interaction that often they say people, they were really rude or, um, you know, they felt frightened or um, it was unfair. So there are, yeah, there are, I mean, I can tell you some individual, you know, um, you know, instance, like there was one in, um, in a Melbourne where um, a woman wrote in her stepfather was staying in the um, Airbnb because he's having cancer treatment. So he's having to stay. The police were actually crawling around the outside of the house and looking in the windows at him. It's really quite odd. <laughs> so, you know, rather than knocking on the door, they're sort of, so I think that it's too much, yeah, there's not enough oversight, I suppose. Anyway. And, Jen, how do you see this resource being used? Covidpolicing.org.au, the website, um, has uh, recommendations of places where people can go to seek free legal advice. And that's incredibly important to note. I will raise the fabulous article and work by Osman Faruqi in the Saturday paper this past week, noting that, um, at least in New South Wales, the fines um, have not shown up in neighborhoods where there have been highest instances of COVID, but actually in neighborhoods that are um, low socioeconomic, migrant population, Aboriginal population, there is a concern that communities that are already hyper-visible to the police are going to be those who receive the fines. It's more difficult to pay for them, and there is legal assistance out there. The collection of the data, I think, is really interesting and useful from a, an advocacy perspective because then we're able to see, in a way that lawyers don't often get to see, um, this kind of bird's eye view of how law is being enforced. Whereas lawyers often get to work client to client and you only hear <laughs> um, from uh, colleagues who are working with other clients what they're going through. Um, the COVID policing site is collecting that trend. Um, and there, there are two things going off what Stephanie said. The majority of our reports that have come in are about the intimidation and the position of power that the police have in the community. And that position of power is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it's the position of power and the individual discretion that's a problem. And there's a problem there also with this discretion because discretion can go either way. We don't know how long we're going to be in the lockdown. We don't know how long these emergency powers are going to go on. And the more there's discretion or we get discretion um, curtailed and cemented as something very restrictive, the harder it is to roll that back. But the harder it is also to roll back that intimidation in um, and that feeling of arbitrariness um, in policing. And that then dampens the, um, or it inhibits people from doing things the way that they normally would. So it inhibits someone from um, wanting to go anywhere near where there might be police. 
um, it inhibits someone from deciding to join in a protest. In the same way that we see it in the protest space, the covidpolicing.org.au, we're seeing it on an individual scale. And that's really concerning. And the more that we collect that, the more we can present it back out and say, look, this is not working. Mm -hmm. I know, so I get, uh, listening to you talk about that, it, it really is, I guess, a watch this space of what's going to happen yeah. going forward around um, not just legislative changes to fines, um, but also the, the kind of ways that police will then um, practice this kind of yeah. new, these like, I guess, newer forms of policing around um, public health as well. I was just going to read something that was from a, a woman in her 60s. She says, I worry these new powers of aggressive behaviour towards the public will continue after the shutdown. And I think that that's, that's a concern that, you know, people have is that, you know, is this a how we're going to be treated from now on? And, you know, I think it does make people fearful to go out, which is a real pity. I also think that there's an opportunity that the more that we're talking about these things in a heightened state, the more aware people are going to be in their daily life when things calm down. And so I think further communication and conversation and questioning is always going to be a good thing. That's all from us this evening. Next week, we'll hear a bit more about the status of people in detention during COVID and we'll hear more from Jen and Steph. I've been listening to Dan Bailo on Twitter. Stay listening for more great community radio. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.